Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. All right, so yeah, John 3, we're wrapping up the, uh, the third chapter of John. We've been in this series called Jesus because that's what the gospel of John is all about. It's all about Jesus, his life, uh, just all kind of walking through um, him walking on the planet. And so that's where we've been. And uh, today we're finishing out the third chapter. But uh, before we do, I wanted to tell you, uh, some of you may remember this, or maybe some of you have heard about this, but in 1968, right, the Olympics, uh, they, they were held in Mexico City, and uh, the marathon was the last event uh, of the Olympics, and the stadium is packed, and, and, and here comes the marathon runners, and uh, an Ethiopian man won, won the, uh, the marathon, you know, crowds going crazy and all that. Uh, but the reality is that, that that marathon is not so much remembered by who won it, who came in first, but really who came in last. Uh, the last place finisher was a man named, uh, he was a Tanzanian man named John Stephen Aquari. Uh, and about mile 18 and a half, which I would have died a long time before that, right? But 18 and a half, he suffers a severe leg injury. And, uh, and, and basically, all the, all the race officials, everyone's trying to get him to quit. They're saying, hey, man, hang it up. It's over. You're not going to win this thing. Just, you're not even going to place. You're not going to get a medal. Hang it up and, and, and get to the house. But he said, no, 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 I'm going to finish. And so he basically, in, in excruciating pain, hobbles and limps home to finish the marathon. Well, the reporter afterwards, they're interviewing him and they're saying, hey, this is a heroic act. I mean, you did this thing. No one else would have done this thing. Why did you do this thing? And, and he tells the reporter, he says, well, my country didn't send me here to start a race, a race. They sent me here to finish a race. And so here's a man who had a very clear purpose, very clear vision, very, very committed to, to that mission. Right? He was sent for a specific purpose, to run and to finish the marathon. And that's what he was dead set on, on doing. Uh, I, I think this, a lot of, we're going to see today a man, we're going back to John the Baptist. We talked a little bit about John the Baptist in the first couple of chapters, but we're getting back into the character of John the Baptist. One of the things we're going to see about John the Baptist is he, in the, in the same way, was very focused on the vision and purpose. He had a clarity of mission, and, and he was committed to that, to that mission. And that's what we're going to see in, in his life and, and, uh, and, and, and how he specifically lived. And, and, and the thing about John the Baptist, though, is, is uh, and, and I think why it's important for us to, to, to talk about why he was so uh, clear on his vision, so committed to his to that mission is because we live in a culture today, right? That we 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 are uh, 
not very committed to much of anything, right? We're like, okay, uh, we, we, you know, we're last minute RSVPs even. We're like, oh, I think I might come to that unless something else comes up, right? We're very non-committal in relationships, very non-committal. We're, you know, that's, that's our culture. But that thing bleeds over also into Christianity that people who would claim themselves to be Christians really uh, compartmentalize Christianity to say, this is a part of my life that I use when I need it or then it's convenient, but it's not everything that I am. Like the song we just sang, all of me, right? It's not all, I'm not committed to all of it. And I think that's a a good thing to remind ourselves and to to put before us, what is that mission and vision? and, And what does it look like to be committed to that mission and vision? And specifically, John the Baptist is going to utter probably the most famous words he spoke in our passage today. And and what we just said, this is our bottom line. This is what we want you to walk home with today. When he says, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. So John the Baptist utters these words, he must increase and I must decrease. But I want us to step into that today to see the way in which uh, we're going to have a, a clear, have clarity of vision and mission and be committed to that vision and mission is if our hearts have been changed to say, I want Jesus to be the forefront of everything, not me. That we would echo John the Baptist to say, Jesus is to be exalted above all the names of the earth, including my own, and I'm to take a back seat to that. He must increase and I must decrease. And we'll see that in, in, in John the Baptist's message today. So let's read. we got a lot of text today, but it's really good stuff. So uh, let's, let's start in verse 22, and then we'll stop at 28 for a moment. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into uh, the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a, few, and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sit before him. Okay, just catching you up a little bit. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist before he began his kind of his earthly ministry. And then he starts doing, you know, he did the miracle at Cana where he turned water to wine. And then he's walking through and he gets to the temple and he makes this whip and he begins to whip everyone out of the temple. These money changers that was turning the house of prayer into a house of profit and gain. So he's pushing them out of the temple, right? And and whipping them out. And, And then he's moving along and you see the next story we have is his encounter with a man named Nicodemus to where this Pharisee, this religious elite person comes to him at night asking questions of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, hey, the only way to be saved is to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, say what? I don't understand that. Help me understand that. And and, and so he's walking this this path and we see it in Jesus' life. And then, then we get to this thing where John, who's written the gospel, the apostle John, highlights again John the Baptist. And specifically, uh, a couple things here. First, you see, John the Baptist still has disciples. Some of his disciples went with Jesus, but he still has some disciples, which, which I think is important for us because... 
Discipleship is an important thing throughout the scripture. Now, what discipleship is, is simply someone teaching someone else all the things that Jesus has taught us. Pretty simple, right? I mean, it's not, we, we like to make it into something, some hodgepodge or something crazy. Like a lot of times we think discipleships, we think, uh, you know, classes or lectures or, or things of that nature, which, which that's part of it, right? On Wednesday nights right now, I'm here, I sit on this stage right here, there's a handful of folks here, and I'm teaching just doctrines throughout the scripture, which you're invited to, 6.30 on Wednesday nights. But, but, but so I'm lecturing, but it's more conversational, really intimate setting, which is really cool. But that's, that's part of it. But discipleship is also, and probably even more so, two or three, four individuals walking with each other, doing life with one another, and someone discipling three or four people and saying, hey, guys, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus teaches us. This is what we can learn from the Scripture. This is what this Scripture means. Now, you may not know all the answers. That's fine. And Danny, you don't have to know all the answers to disciple someone. But the, the command to make disciples is, is huge for us. And so I want to encourage you. If you're not in a discipleship group, if you're not, you're, if you're not either discipling or being discipled, man, I want everyone in this church to jump in on that. Find a group of guys. If you need help finding a group of guys or girls, man, we want to we help you find those same gender individuals that you can begin walking uh, and doing life with. And, you, and everybody in here is in one of two categories. Either you need to be discipling somebody or you need to be being discipled, right, so that you can eventually be discipling people. Right? And so jump in one of those. We'll start some groups and some things at the beginning of the year too, but don't wait on that to start jumping jump in now. Discipleship is very important to Jesus. You see it all through his whole three years of ministry. That's basically what he's doing. He's pouring into his disciples who would be the leaders of the church. It's important to John the Baptist. Uh, and, and so I think it's important for us uh, as well. Um, so that's just a side note. Uh, you, what you see happening here in the scripture is... Um, so Jesus is baptizing. Really, it's not Jesus. We see, uh, we see in John 4, chapter 2, that Jesus didn't baptize anybody, but his disciples are baptizing people, right? And then uh, John's disciples are arguing with this Jewish man about purification. Now, probably what they're arguing about is if baptism uh, is, uh, if, because John's uh, disciples would have said, hey, this is an outward symbol of an inward reality. They're, they're saying, you know, this isn't a work you need to do for purification to the Jewish man, but it is a sign of that Jesus is already doing some of that in you. None of that really matters to the context today, but just for free. All right. Then, so they, they start arguing with this Jewish man, and the Jewish man basically says, hey, Jesus, uh, his disciples, they're baptizing way more people than you. You guys, I, I, you must have lost, you've, you lost your mojo, or you've, 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 you know, if they're sitting in the camp, there's something going on here, because Jesus, they're out there, and they're doing it big. And here you are, you know, way less people, right? Like, looking around. Now, here's the thing. If anybody could have swelled up with pride, it could have been John the Baptist. John the Baptist was considered by Jesus to be the greatest man ever born of woman. That's pretty big accolades. Imagine that said of you, right? David, you are the greatest man ever born of a woman. Like, yeah, take all that. Yeah, better than all y'all, right? But John the Baptist doesn't do that. 
Now, here's the other thing. God was using John the Baptist in an incredible way. He was paving the way for Jesus. He, he was going before and saying, hey, the, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and turn to him. Like this incredible mission that he had been given to God to pave the way for Jesus. Now, yeah, he could have swelled up with pride. Hey, hey, hey. Now, remember, when, before Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist had the crowds. People were gathering to hear this crazy man who ate bugs and wore camel hair clothes, right? He's like, we got to see this freak. we gotta, we got to check this out. And then they would come. He's like, repent. They're like, I need to repent. And so he's gaining, gaining all these crowds, and people were knowing who John the Baptist was. And then all of a sudden, his crowd begins to dwindle, and Jesus' crowd begins to rise. Now, the flesh in us, the nature in us, we would say, we got to figure this out. Maybe there's something we got to fix. Maybe we got to, maybe the, we got to, this is what we do in church. I don't know. Maybe the music's too loud. Maybe we got to fix it. We got to figure this out. We got to get the seats more comfortable. We got to figure this thing out. Like, what do we got to do? But John the Baptist, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't do that. And, uh, and, and it's a beautiful thing what, what John the Baptist does because what he realized was he didn't have an inflated view of himself. He had a right view of who Jesus was. He, he didn't have himself put on this pedestal because he understood that. That's why he said, that's why he said here, he said, a person can't receive even one thing in life unless it is given to him from heaven. So John the Baptist realized that every ounce that he had been used for the kingdom of God had nothing to do with his own giftings or abilities or his own effort. It had everything to do with God giving it to him for the purpose of God. So John the Baptist realized, hey, the only, thing, the only reason anything good has happened in me, in my life, in my ministry, it's because God has done it. It's, it's because he saw fit to do it in and through me. It's, it's because he gave me those gifts. So, so that's what John, John the Baptist began to help his disciples understand. He said, boys, you don't get it. My whole life, my whole ministry, it's about Jesus. I told you I'm not the Messiah. I told you I came to tell people about the Messiah. And he says, I'm not the forerunner. I'm not the one that is the one that this is all about. He is the, the fulfillment of everything that I'm about, which is a, a, a huge, huge example for us to say, this is what the heart of a believer should be like, constantly saying, this is not about me. Life, church, purpose, it's not about me. It's about him. And, and specifically what John the Baptist is saying, that if we could, this principle, that if we could get our brain around, if we can wrap our minds around this, it would change how we live our lives. But John the Baptist says, every gift given has been given to me by God for God. Everything that has been given to me has been given to me by God for God, right? Do you see how that can make a huge difference in your life if you begin to understand that? So, so, so even in our flesh and nature now, there are some of you, if you're, especially if you're type A people like me in here, you, you, you begin to say things like this. No, no, hold on. Now, I worked hard for the job I have. I built this business with my own hands. I worked hard late nights. Oh, hold on. No, no, no. You telling me that, that I have what I have because someone gave it to me? No, no, no. I worked for this. Okay, let's step back 
and realize the very brain that you have functioning in your head to help you make the decisions that you make is a gift given to you by God. The work ethic that you have in your life, that's a gift given to you by God. The fact that you have the health that you have is a gift given to you by God. Everything that you have in your life, every gift, every ability, is a gift given to you by God, for God. Everything. Now, obviously, this has huge implications for us because think about all the gifts that God has given us that we are supposed to be utilizing for his purpose and mission. He's given us salvation. Your salvation is not ultimately about you. God saved you for his own purpose and glory. So even your salvation isn't about you. Your salvation is about God. If you're married, your marriage is not about you ultimately. Your marriage is about bringing glory and honor to to Jesus. If you're single, your singleness isn't even about you. It's about you being single for the purpose and the glory of God. If you've got kids, this is what we like to do, parents, right? We we think we got in our mind that these kids are given to us, and our main goal for our kids is that we would raise them up to be decent citizens, pay their taxes, and not kill anybody, which is a great effort. (laughs) But the reality is we... We have been given kids for a much higher purpose than that. I'm not just raising kids to be model citizens and, and, and to, to eat their vegetables. I'm raising warriors for the kingdom of God. I'm raising them. I'm instilling the word of God in their heart so they'll rise up to be grown men and grown women that, that change the world for the gospel. That they're raised up as warriors in the kingdom of God. So we're not just babysitters. You're literally raising the next generation for the kingdom of God. Every gift you've been given is given to you for the purpose of knowing God and making him known. Every single gift, your home, your cars, your paycheck, your kids, your health. Think about all the gifts you have. You don't just have the job you have. So you can collect a paycheck. You have the job you have for the mission and the vision and the purpose of God. All of it is given to you by God for God. Now, let's read 29 and 30 because he's going to say our bottom line here. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, all through the Old Testament, uh, it it refers to Israel, God's people, as the bride of God. And that carries over into the New Testament where the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And so all this imagery for uh, the, the church and the people of God being the bride, and, and, and Jesus being that bridegroom. And so John the Baptist is basically saying, I love the imagery here because he's saying, yeah, no, you're trying to make me the groom. I'm not the groom. Jesus is the groom. 
I'm just the best man that gets to stand beside the groom and say, yes, this is awesome. I love this. I get to rejoice greatly that the bridegroom is coming for his bride. Listen, I'm not the groom. He is. And and this is, again, the heartbeat of every believer. Yes, we are a a part of that bride that he's coming for. But at the same time, we realize, hey, we're not the groom. We step back and we, we get to be a part of his mission and purpose and vision in the world. And we get to say, hey, hey, this ain't about me. It's about him. Everything's about the groom coming for the bride. Everything's about him being put and exalted. Nothing is about me. That's what John the Baptist says. I get to rejoice greatly. I get to see. I get to, I, 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 I hear his voice. He's coming for his bride. And I get to, my joy is now complete. And he must increase and I must decrease. I'm just the best man. I'm not the groom. It's a beautiful picture of how we should, should see ourselves. And, 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 and then, he, again, he says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Now, hear me. He's not saying, all right, guys, Jesus is here. Now we can kick back and relax and not, not do anything. My job is done. No, what he's saying is, hey, hey, as we work and toil, it's, it's never about our kingdom. It's always about him. It's never about our ambitions and dreams. It's always about him. And then let's, let's, let's finish out the, the, uh, the passage here. 31 through 36. It says, he who comes from above is above all. Again, he's reiterating on this idea of Christ being the forefront. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay, now, I, I, I want to be very clear here, especially I want, I want to talk about that last verse I just read. It says, whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Okay, so we, we talked last week. The way in which you have eternal life is by believing. And we know, based on last week, that believing is not just a, a cognitive assent or, or a belief that, yes, I believe God exists, but it's more than that. It is a belief. There's three levels of belief. It's, yes, I know that. I subscribe to that, and I obey it by, remember, I brought a chair up here, and I said, I believe this chair exists. I trust that that chair will hold me if I sit in it. And then thirdly, I actually sat in the chair, right? And so this is the level of belief that's talking about that inherits eternal life. It's, and then if you notice in the Scripture, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So it is, it is combining belief and obedience. The proof of belief is obedience. And so that, that's what he's saying here. He says, whoever does not obey does not have life. Whoever, whoever does not know the clear vision and purpose of God, whoever is not committed to the vision and the purpose of God, they, they don't believe. And therefore, they don't have life, and the wrath of God remains on them. You see, John is 
is, is telling and, and explaining to us again how to, how to be saved and that Jesus is ultimate. And, and those that are, that are saved are the ones that have said in their heart, he is first and foremost. He is the priority of all of my life. He is what my world revolves around. He's not a compartment of my life that I pull out when it's convenient. He's not a compartment of my life that I pull out when times are tough or when things aren't going my way or when I need him. No, he's everything to me. He's everything. And Jesus is the forefront of John the Baptist's life. John the Baptist says, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Now, we got to stop and think because Cognitively, again, in our minds, we agree with that, right? We say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. More of him, less of me. I agree with that, yeah. But the reality is, because I want to help us to understand that we so often don't do that, right? We so often try to put ourselves as God instead of God as God. Now, you may be thinking, David, I don't do that. I don't think myself to be God. Well, you might not outright say, hey, I'm God, right? <laughs> Hey, family, worship me. I'm God. You're not going to say that, right? But here's the things that you do. Every time that we sin, which we do and we will, right? I'm not preaching a perfectionistic gospel because that's not possible. But every time we sin, in essence, what we're saying when we sin is we are saying, my way is better. I know better than you, God. I, your way is not the right way. My way is the right way. In essence, you're saying, I am God. I know better than you know, God. Every time we sin, right? That's why repentance is so important for us because every time we repent of sin, we are saying, I was an idiot, God. Help me continue to understand that I am not God and you are God. I'll put you back on the rightful place of throne of my life and heart. My world revolves around you. I repent of the sin that I committed. So, so every time we do that, we, we, we begin to elevate, elevate our, ourselves, right? And so that's why it's important for us to have a heart change that says he must increase, I must decrease in everything. In our battle with sin and flesh every day, it, it is a battle to say he must increase, I must decrease. Because not me get better or improve or shine up a little bit or if I work harder. No, no, no. The way to battle sin is he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase in my heart, in my life, in my worship, in my thoughts, in everything about my life, and I must decrease. I, I must continue to fall back. He must continue to grow in my heart and life and passions and desires. This is the, the way in which he's given us uh, to, to uh, defeat sin. And then, so John the Baptist is saying, he must increase, I must decrease. John had a very clear, he had clarity of mission. Clarity of mission, and therefore, uh, he, he could be committed to that, to that mission. Uh, we say around here a lot, live sin, right? Uh, the word mission is a Latin word that just means sending. So we consider ourselves to be a sending church. We're constantly trying to raise up pastors, missionaries, uh, uh, business folks, people in the community to go out and to live sin, meaning that whatever domain God has put you in, he has put you there for a specific purpose of bringing him glory. And so you live sin in the area in which God has, has put you in. Right. And so if you work in an office place with a bunch of cubicles and like you're going to go to work tomorrow, some of you and you're going to be like, I hate Mondays. 
It's the worst, right? Mondays are the worst, all right? Uh, but, but here's the thing. He has put you there for a specific purpose, and it's not just to make it to Friday. He's put you there for the specific purpose of being a light shining in the darkness. He's put you there to live sin in whatever domain he's, he's put you in. So your cubicle mates around you, God has put you with him on purpose for the sake of his purpose and, and mission in the world. You got kids, they play sports. You're not just going to go watch your kid try to dribble a basketball for 30 minutes. God has put you there for the specific purpose to, to live sent there. That he, he's given you that so that you might honor and bring glory to his name. Every domain he's put you in. Now, you might say, David, does that, does that mean too, I, we hear you say it all the time, does that mean i got to pack up my family and move it overseas and be missionaries in a, in a foreign land? Maybe. Maybe it does. But for sure it means whatever domain God has given you today and tomorrow, that's the domain he wants you to live sent in. So here's the thing. In order to live sent, in order to, he has given us a mission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's given us this mission to, to exalt Christ and to spread the name of him among all people groups, all nations, everywhere we go. He's given us that. But we have to be clear on that mission. So if you are a believer, you're not just a believer for you. You are a believer for the mission and the purpose of God. You have to be clear on that vision. When you're clear on that mission, then you can be committed to that mission, right? You can't be committed to something you're not clear on. So clearly, if you have Christ, you are told to go, to live sin, to share the gospel, to, to, to share Jesus with people. That's your mission, right? Now, you can be committed to that mission by understanding like John the Baptist everything given to me is given to me to accomplish that mission I'm not living for me I'm not living for the American dream I'm not living to have the 2.5 kids white picket fence two nice cars in the garage that's not what I'm living for those things will, will burn up and be gone very soon our mission is to exalt the name of Christ and lift him high. Some of us get confused. Maybe we don't get caught up in materialism. We get caught up in our own influence. That we think that all of this, everyone here is to hear, to serve me. That we, 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 we use our influence. We say it's about me. Everything points to me. But the reality is, guys, no one will know our names in 100 years from now. When we're all dead and in the dirt. No one's going to know us. So how foolish would it be for you to live for your own influence for a very small amount of time? That would be a waste of life. To live for something that a very small amount of people will remember for a very small amount of years and then forgotten forever. That would be very foolish. It would be a waste of life. How much wiser would it be for you to spend your life living, living it for the name that will never die? 
living it for Jesus, that, that, that his name and his glory will be sung forever and forever and forever and forever. So my small amount of time on this earth, my, my small amount of influence he's given me, my small amount of resources, my, my small little family, that I, I leverage all of that for his namesake and his mission. And when we do that, when we, when we give our lives to that, that's when we have significance. That, that's when we're able to say, I'm, I'm just the best man. I get to cheer on because my Savior, Jesus, the bridegroom, he's coming for his bride. He's going to win, and I just get to be a part of this. Yes. My days get to count for eternity. My, my days are not going to burn up. Like I'm going to be able to use this for something that goes beyond my life and beyond 10 of my lifetimes. Praise be to God. That's what I want my life to be about. That's what John the Baptist's life is about. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. Now hear me, church, because I know we try to say, all right, I'm going to leave here. i got a checklist. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to do these top three things. Then I'll be committed. That's not how it works. It's a heart transformation first. You can't please God unless God has saved you changed your heart, that your heart begins to say, yes, I attest to that. I agree with that. He must increase. I must decrease. I'm on board with that. I want that for me and and my my life. I want him to increase and and me to decrease. Then when you do that, when you have that heart change, you, you have a very clear vision. He's given it to us in the scripture to know him and to make him known. And then you can say, okay, I'm, I'm committed to that. Every gift that he has given me, my health, my time, my, my family, my kids, my money, my, 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 my sports, whatever, whatever he's given you. You can say, yes, I'm committed. I'm doing these things because I'm committed to his mission and vision of the world, to, to know him and to make him known. So whatever domain he's put you in, you can live sin in. What, again. You're not where you are in life by accident. You are there for the purpose and the mission of God. How are you accomplishing the vision and the mission of God? Again, ball field, uh, cubicles, warehouse. You know, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, right? Uh, I know all of you are excited about seeing the family you don't like. (laughs) Just me? Okay, I need to pray about that. Uh, Great opportunity for you to live sin, to leverage your life for the sake of the gospel. These are the things that John the Baptist's life gives us example to, that he constantly said, guys, this ain't about me. This isn't about me. This is about him. He is ultimate. He is the Savior. I am uh, the backseat to him. It's Paul saying the same thing. Remember Paul, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. There's nothing in me that is good. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. This is the heartbeat of the believer. This is the heartbeat of the one who says, yes, Man, I I want my life to count, not just for 50 years. I want my life to count for eternity. I want my life to be about something. The only thing it's going to be about that's eternal is Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. 
That's our bottom line. That's, that's the heartbeat of a believer and what I want you to walk home with. Now let's pray and ask the Lord just to solidify that in our hearts and lives for a moment. Father, I pray that you would put in us a resolve to live on mission. Give us clarity of that mission. We, we can't... We can't uh, see what we're aiming for. We can't hit what we're aiming for if we can't see it. So show us that you've called us to have radical lives for the sake of the gospel. Give us clear vision, God. There are all kinds of things trying to keep us from that vision. Whatever it is, relational issues or financial struggles or just pride. There are are tons of things that are trying to keep us from seeing the purpose that you have created us and saved us. Namely, to know you and to make you known. And so, Father, I pray you would continue to give us clarity of vision so that we can see the right way to live our lives. And then, Father, would you move in us to be committed to that vision. Every gift you give us, our health, our brains, voices, our resources, our kids, our time, everything to be committed to the purpose and the mission of God. And all of that stems from hearts that say, we want Jesus to be lifted high. You're the name above all names. You're the king above all kings. You are worthy to be praised. Not any person here, not any any person anywhere, only you to be lifted high and praised. You must increase, Jesus. We must decrease. Father, the way we battle sin, I know there's a lot of folks, Father, in here that that, that struggle with, it's not, we're not doing it my way, life should be happening like this for me, and just full of really pride and arrogance, and and Father, I pray you would break that down, you begin to show them that these days, these few days that you've given us are not about us. Make us a people that don't waste our lives chasing trivial materialism or fame. But we are a people that are about the fame of one, and that's Jesus. And we lift him high. And we praise his name. Father, let the cry of our heart be constantly, he must increase, I must decrease. We need you to do that in us, Father. Help us to believe and have that faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.